From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to La Liga Weekly. We start this week with a sad story, so I'm leaving off the silly introduction. Jose Antonio Reyes was only 35 years of age. His car crashed on Saturday, killing him and his cousin. Our thoughts are with their family. Jose was a fine player with a trophy cabinet that put him in the top bracket, a unique hall of five Europa Leagues. The Premier League with Arsenal's Invincibles, La Liga on loan at Real Madrid, where he clinched the title as a sub. He played in the 2006 Champions League final for the Gunners, 21 times for Spain, his last cap against Saudi Arabia, the World Cup in 2006. Uh, Terry, people don't need us to say it, but we, we want to talk about Jose Antonio Reyes and just, just what an unspeakable tragedy it was to, to lose a man so young with with so much of his life ahead of him, uh, it, it it certainly is. I mean, it was it was shocking news when I heard it yesterday, and it's hard to comprehend someone taken away so abruptly, so quickly, so in tragic circumstances. And and when you look back at his career as a player, you, I think we, there's there's hundreds of players that we you know we we, we think about on a weekly basis and. But when something as tragic as this happens, and then you go into detail and look at all that he achieved, how he achieved it as well, um, what he meant to the football club, Sevilla. I know he's, he's got an illustrious career of playing for Arsenal, of course, and on loan at Real Madrid and Atletico. But I think everybody will associate him with Sevilla Football Club, and I think that's quite right. Um, but it, it, was, it was tragic circumstances, you know, of course, our condolences go to his family to his you know his parents his immediate family his wife two two daughters as a son as well it's a, it's it's a tragic loss for for them of course and a loss that's been shared by the world of football um when you see the tributes that have been made to him the people associated from the world of football that have attended the wake at Sevilla stadium on on Sunday evening um, it just goes to show, you know, what a, a we we know him as a footballer, um, but I think that tells you a lot more about him as a person. So it's it's, it's a tragic, absolute tragedy. So let's have a, you know, as we reflect on his career, he broke into the Sevilla team. He was only 16 when he broke into the Sevilla team. He got a big money move to Arsenal a couple of years on. He joined during the Invincibles season, played some terrific football, particularly in his early days. Uh, at Arsenal, didn't always get on with with England, did he? And and you know he moved back to to Spain when he when he got the opportunity. Uh, he, he played in the Aragonés squad for Spain, but he, he didn't play through their glory era. I, th- I suppose his most memorable match will be the one where he came off the bench. Real Madrid needed to win the game, and he came on off the bench and scored two goals. And so, as a lone player, not single-handedly, but he he was the man who, who clinched the La Liga title for them. It was, and I think when when you go back to the reason he's so associated with Sevilla, and and we're talking a bit more detail about the type of player he was as well, but the Sevilla, when he was in the team at 16, and in the first few years he was in the team at Sevilla, they 
pretty much were an up and down team. They were struggling in terms of staying in the top division when he first broke into the team. I think they had three out of four seasons in the second division. And when he was transferred to Arsenal, I think it was for about £17 million, he was the catalyst then for making Sevilla the club that it is now, if I'm being perfectly honest, because they saw it as an honour that he was able to be transferred to, at the time, one of the biggest clubs in, in European football, um, a well-known Premier League English club. And the money was used so wisely from his transfer that Sevilla become an altogether different club, not one that were always worried about relegation and worrying about getting promotion back to the top division. The ca- he was the catalyst. That money was used so wisely. And I, I, on a personal note, I, I was living in Spain and it was my early days of scouting just after he'd moved to Arsenal. So I didn't see him play for Sevilla initially. And he was there pretty much every Sevilla game that I went to. Um, and he would be sitting always in the same place. I had my regular tickets. Someone I, I knew from the agent's world in Spain that was asking me to look at players was with me one game and they introduced me to him because... At the time, everybody knew of Bolton in Spain because Fernando Hierro was playing for them, even Campo. So when I was introduced as the English scout for Bolton, he so every time after that, I went to the game and he would be sitting a row or two in front. We would always nod and, and greet each other. And he was treated like an absolute hero at Sevilla. So when we recollect about his troubles of being in England, being homesick despite having his mother and father with him in, in London. I always knew that his heart really was in Sevilla. And, of course, that's where he eventually he did return back to the club for a successful period. And that became, then he was able to be up close with the club that Sevilla had become, based purely on the back of them selling him for such a large amount of money to Arsenal, using that money wisely, making the club stronger, I think that's what makes him a really important player for Sevilla Football Club because of what the club has become after his initial departure. And it, it was it was always going to happen that he was going to be coming back. But he he, I, he was a person that I saw when he whenever he was at the games at the Sanchez-Pizuan. It was never too much trouble to sign autographs, to speak to people. When Sevilla scored a goal, he celebrated just like every other supporter in the stand. So I was I was absolutely thrilled when he eventually got the chance to go back and, and become part of the better Severe, as I, I used to look at it, the one that he missed out on initially. But he was the reason why, um, of course, Monchi was in charge and spent the money wisely and the likes of Danny Alves and Baptista and sold for huge sums, huge, huge profits. And then it became a better football club, one that, uh, you know, obviously has won numerous European trophies, which helped him be part of a team that won another three. So it's such an important player for the history of that football club. There almost have been lots of tributes paid to him by former teammates, people who played against him for the national team, for the various clubs that he played for along the, the, the way as well. One that struck me, though, Terry, was Unai Emery, who mentioned... Reyes is hard work, which is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we think of him as a flair player. We think of him as the the guy who scored spectacular goals, but didn't necessarily always make a 90-minute contribution to a game. A a guy who Simeone didn't really want to to work with, uh, Atletico. So you might think of him as a frivolous player. He played 686 first-team games for his various clubs. 
as well as his international cap. So put that, put that together. That takes him over 700 uh, appearances. Uh, he was still playing. He's still, you know, he's still a current player with Extremadura. So he was, you know, a 35. So so dedicated. So despite you know the, a reputation as a flair player, he was he was hardworking, dedicated, and he and he loved football. And and you know, you, the the tributes are they're many, and they and they seem to be very heartfelt as well. Yeah, and, and the, the sheer fact that he was still playing at the age of 35 for a second division team, he, he clearly wouldn't need the money. Um, but it, it just goes to show his love of football in general. He, he, he slipped down the rankings when he played for Espanyol, Cordoba, went to China and earned a few quid again, Extremadura. And and I think there was a maturity about him in, in his later... He, he slightly changed as a player, which I think is, is natural. I think when you're a young player, in, I always thought of him, particularly at Arsenal, um, as a, like a street player. He was your old-fashioned winger that just wanted to get the ball and took as much satisfaction from getting crosses in and supplying chances for teammates as he did when he scored his own goals. And I think as you develop and you become mature as a, as a person, then you start to recognise the other attributes that are needed to succeed with various managers. And... I think we, we know from Unai Emery's example in Spanish football that if you didn't do the hard graft, then you wouldn't get a game. I think that's just a, a natural conclusion then to a player who's developing, maturing and realising that there are other attributes that are needed. And he was more than willing to roll his sleeves up to, to get on with what was needed in order to continue his career. And uh, I, I will always remember him, though, as, as a really gifted, skillful player, as I said, like an old-fashioned winger that just loved to take the defenders on. Um, some have called him a bit of a standard bearer for the early players that came into the Premier League from La Liga. I think I can only recollect Albert Ferrer, who made an impact, who came in before him, um, but not for anything like the money that, that Jose Antonio Reyes came in. It was the, the initial introduction of the younger players coming in from Spain, from La Liga as well. He joins us at the same time as Ces Fabricas, although slightly different ages. Um, but I, I, I always thought he was, you know, a thrilling player to watch. Um, I liked his personality, and I, and I think his all-round career. You saw changes all the way through it, and he was, uh, he, I, I, as I said, I, I always found him a thoroughly enjoyable watch. We've had lots of people get in touch and pass on their, their thoughts, their regards. I'm going to read out a couple of them. Lucas, it's easy set to forget. He says, how many trophies Reyes won? The five Europa Leagues, EPL, uh, FA Cup, La Liga. I'll always remember, he says, how I how he came off the bench for Bex against Mallorca on the final day in 07 to score twice and win us the league. May he rest in peace. And then uh, a, a man who contacts us regularly, uh, Mr. Jose Reyes, uh, who says also a word on Jose Antonio as a second generation Espanol growing up in London with his name. His arrival at AFC in Arsenal had a particular impact. He served as a great tool for me, spreading the word on how to pronounce my name. I love the stories that came <laughs> out of his time in London. Uh, we forgot how he broke ground for Spanish players to make an impact uh, in the English Premier League. Rest in peace. And uh, yeah, well, so say all of us. It's it's a terrible tragedy, but you know, he's left us with a lot of good memories, Jose Antonio Reyes. Uh, so our thoughts with, with Jose Antonio and his family. And we'll be back after the break to discuss the what's going on in the, the rest of the football world. A little flexibility can go a long way. 
by refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed. You can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hi, friend. It's your home speaking, and I need some favors. Could you turn on some of the lights in the basement? Um, I'm scared of the dark. Also, this one is easy. Could you bundle your home and car insurance with GEICO so we could save money? Last thing, just a suggestion. Could you steam clean the carpets? I need a spa day. GEICO. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com today. Welcome back. We can move on and discuss the football. The Champions League final has had you all overflowing with enthusiasm. Well done to Liverpool. I'm sure that's what Ernesto Valverde said as he watched the laborious final, knowing that he would get the blame all over again for Barca. Uh, not winning it. Now, Terry Gibson is a Spurs fan, so I'll say it, Terry. Um, I'll whisper it. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid that the best team won the final, I'm afraid to say. It wasn't a great final, but Liverpool, you know, they, they missed out on the league. Um Things could have gone wrong. It's a good competition. Barca could have beaten them, etc. But it's 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 a very strong Liverpool team that Klopp has, has put together. It wasn't a great final, but they won fair and square, and they're a, they're a terrifically strong team. Fair and square? You having a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that final for thirty seconds last night. The rest of it was an utter ordeal. Um, I don't know how the Spurs supporters felt that went in the stadium. There it was. Kick off. Champions League final, bit surreal. Spurs haven't won a league title for 59 years. We, I've no, I don't, I've no idea how we got to the final. I look at the results from the group, the knockout stages. Dortmund was the only comfortable tie, um, and there you're watching it. And it lasted all of that enthusiasm, um, anticipation lasted 30 seconds, um, and then from then on, it was an ordeal. It was a question. Tottenham having loads of possession. I was frustrated that there wasn't enough urgency from Spurs. I understand when you go 1-0 down early on, it's you don't want to go gung-ho too early and open yourself up against a team like Liverpool that have got the the, the quality to, to counter-attack and break you down quickly, get the second goal and the game runs away from you. But that's the worst I've seen Liverpool play all season. And... There was the lack of urgency from Tottenham was really frustrating me. The reason I don't go and watch games like that with other people is that I shout, I curse, I'm <laughs> moaning at players left, right and centre, I'm moaning at the manager for the substitution. So I prefer to do that in the privacy of my own home with just my long-suffering wife telling me to calm down. Um, so I found it really, really frustrating. I, we only had 30 seconds at, on level terms. The penalty, it's... it's, it's I, uh, I haven't got any major complaints with the penalty as a Spurs fan. I think it was a grey area area for the referee. Then it's a grey area for VAR because it wasn't a obvious error from the referee. Um, it was unfortunate. I think I'd have been a little bit happier if it just struck him right on the arm, but it chest into the arm. It's a difficult one to argue with. Um, but from then on, it was it was it was a tough watch to be honest because. I think Liverpool were there for the taking. I agree with all your comments about how well they've done this season, but 
to be frank, at the end of the day, in a cup final, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how you've got there. It's about getting the win. And as a Spurs fan, really annoyed that we didn't make more of the opportunity. We didn't leave more out there. And it, for a Spurs player, a Spurs supporter, it's going to be one of those if only, um, which is the worst case scenario. If you get beat 2 or 3 nil, having a go, you've been beaten by a better team, you, you can probably accept that. But when you get beat in that way, in a cup final, um, I mean, nothing happened. In, in terms of the quality of the game, it was, I thought it was dreadful. I really did. The quality, the misplaced passes. Surprisingly, with a three-week break, the players looked worse for it. I don't know whether that's a reason or an excuse. Um I don't know whether the pressure played a part on Liverpool being the, the favourites this season as opposed to last season when they were underdogs. Um, but it certainly hampered their performance and, and Tottenham sort of, despite the early setback, didn't really throw everything everything at it um, until the last 10 or 15 minutes when there were, if I'm being honest, a few routine saves from, a, from Allison in goal that you would have been surprised he hadn't saved. So there wasn't a great deal of pressure from, from Spurs and that it's it going to be really frustrating. I don't share the sentiments of many that lot of Spurs supporters that suggest we'll be better for it and we'll be back again next year. I'm not. I don't have that much faith. I must be honest. Um, it's it was a one-off. Um, unless we spend a lot more money than we have done in recent times, then it's going to be a big ask for for Tottenham to to do it again. I think we're fortunate this season. Um, and I think always we expect better, don't we, from a, a Champions League final? And there was very little drama. The drama was pretty much in the first 30 seconds with a penalty. Um, and then sort of Tottenham huffing and puffing away without making much progress. Few changes, time was running out. And then Liverpool snatched a second with an unlikely hero in the in the Champions League for them in Origi, who's who's you know done so well for Liverpool in the games against Barcelona and in the final. Um, but when you look at the key players from both sets of teams, it was really hard to pick pick a man of the match. It was hard to pick out a standout players. Some players did all right. Some players were poor. Some players were ineffective and didn't get involved in the game. So I think by and large, it 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 was a disappointing final unless you're a Liverpool supporter, and obviously very disappointing if you're a Spurs supporter. Right, let's break it down with a couple of questions, shall we? We'll do the penalty first of all. Coffee, um, uh, hi, John and Terry. What do you make of the penalty awarded? It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're a handball fundamentalist, but obviously a Spurs fan. Uh, I've I've got no sympathy for him. I'm 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 taking your normal line. I see no reason that he's got his hand up pointing. I don't see why why you right, later on when Arigi scores. Did you notice Alderweireld's hands behind his back? sacrificing his balance in order to keep his hands out of the way of a, penal, of a potential handball. So we see loads of players do that now. But for some reason, uh, Sissoka, when he gives the, the penalty uh, away, he's got his hand up in the air, pointing at some teammate who I have no idea who he's pointing at. There's no one there. No. He's just like, rough, vaguely pointed behind him that someone else should be picking up some runs, which means that his hand is thrown up in the air, so it hits his chest, rolls up onto, or it hits his chest, and it rolls onto his arm. I grant you that. It wasn't a deliberate handball, but you stick your arm up in the air, you're asking for it. So I'm, I'm afraid... You run a massive can't... risk. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what annoyed me about the goal. It was thirty, just over 30 seconds, wasn't it? And Liverpool uh, won three right, challenges. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool won three challenges. One of them possibly could have been a foul, but it was just... It, 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 
listen, I'm not making a big up hoo-ha about, oh, it should have been disallowed. I think you saw Ericsson pointing to the referee that one of them might have been a foul. But that was that's the attitude you want when you start a Champions League final. You don't want... In all three instances, I think Spurs players, it was a 50-50 challenge. It was ball bouncing in the air. Liverpool were just trying to help the ball forward. And that's how eventually they got the ball to the penalty area. Then Sissoko, I no idea. I think you've summed it up perfectly. He's pointing for assistance for a teammate. But when you put your arm out and he's a big fellow and it's a big arm, you run the risk of, of the, the, the cross hitting the arm. And that's exactly what happened. But the disappointment for me was that the, the first three challenges of the game weren't of a team that was set up, motivated and aggressive enough to to, to compete. And and that's what Liverpool did. The first three challenges, I think Van Dijk did one on Kane. It was only a routine ball up to the centre forward. It was bouncing around. It was an untidy start to the game. And they won. They snapped in and won the first three challenges, which led to the penalty. So it was, uh, it was, it was as I said, that was the... I, I, I said previously... I enjoyed that for 30 seconds. I didn't even enjoy the first 30 seconds because there were three <laughs> challenges that I thought Spurs should have been stronger in and didn't and just wanted to ease their way into the game and that wasn't the right approach. And, and Liverpool got the got the joy from... As I said, I haven't got any major complaints. I think it's a grey area in terms of the handball. It's certainly not an obvious error by the referee. So when you, I, I saw the replays and you see his arm out, initially you don't see it. When you see the replays, you think, oh, that's going to be a penalty. Mm. Um, right. A couple of, on the, the quality of the game. Uh, Bistador, how disappointed to see a European champion win the final with a whopping 175 passes and a 64% pass accuracy. A far cry from Super Barcelona where Xavi would get that many against better opposition. Weakest Champions League in recent time. Which is interesting because I think it's been a good tournament until the final. Uh, Hamsey, is the EPL really the most exciting league? Two finals consisting of English teams and two dead finals. Uh, the only thing I can recall is the pitch invader. Uh, it's an interesting one, is it? In terms of, like you said, it's <coughs> Liverpool's worst performance that you can remember. Um, the three-week delay didn't help, which brings me back to my thoughts about Barcelona having won the league too early. I thought that maybe just take the edge off you. And at that high level, and you notice when players aren't you know, 100% because it's we're expected, we're used to seeing them play such good football. And a couple of weeks off, and, and I think that's a bit of an issue for the Champions League. But it is also, I'm, I'm going to whisper this to make myself too unpopular with Liverpool fans, it is a bit how they play. They They... There's no, there's no, they're not a Cruyff disciple team, are they? Uh, Klopp's Liverpool team. They're not knocking it around in pretty patterns. They defend really solidly. Their fullbacks are fit and can cross a ball. Their, their midfield works hard, and they've got blistering pace up front. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. That's how football has no. been played. It's a, it's a very, it's a very effective way of playing football. But you know, and then they they sort of wait for the other team to play, and then they are looking to to smash them on the counter, and they do it really well. I think those points you made, I agree totally, John. That is Liverpool's style of play. They're, they're industrious in midfield. Um, but the fear as a Spurs fan going into that game last night was the, the front three. And I think that's why you can, I think you can genuinely look at the performance of Liverpool last night and say that those front three, the Firmino, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, they didn't have the impact they normally do on games. That they, they, you know, they're, they're exciting to watch, unless it seems the opposition. Um, but I think that's why we would look at Liverpool's performance and don't think they played particularly well last night. But I think it's it's fascinating now to to see the the, the three week gap, the impact it had on the on the players. As a coach, I would love the opportunity to have had a three week build up for one game, a cup final, 
Um, and it was it was it was rather disappointing. But is that what we could, we should expect on the back of a World Cup last summer? Players having very little time off in the summer. We look at the season as a whole on a weekly basis. Fortunately, on a, on our podcast, and we assess how teams are doing when we, we know really why we're doing that all the way along the season, unless it's something drastic as Real Madrid and they're not going to challenge for the title as early as they did again this season. But we look at Barcelona and how their season turned around on the back of two results. You know, the second leg against Liverpool, the cup final against Valencia. And then, we can, then you have a completely different outlook on them being a success or failure again this season. So are we to expect at the end of the season a, a Champions League final where the teams have done the hard work to get there and it's just a question of whoever's the fittest, the strongest, hopefully you get a bit of luck, um, but sometimes the quality might be lacking when we're playing another game of football in the, the, in the beginning of June. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough one to assess, but I agree. I, I didn't think in terms of the quality... It certainly didn't match the semi-finals and the quarter-finals, um, and it, and I guess for a lot of people it was a disappointing spectacle. Early goal, late goal, nothing much happened in between. But um, I guess you know if you're Liverpool, they'd be delighted. Of course, Barcelona will be looking and thinking that was the Liverpool that played us in the second leg at Anfield. Uh, and of course, a lot of it with the Barca fans, uh, it's, it's, everything's framed through Barcelona in the end. Uh, Talal says, Barcelona should go for Pochettino. No, he says, question mark. <laughs> uh, however, off the basis of what, what, why is everyone so desperate for them to sack Valverde? Because he lost to Liverpool in the Champions League. I, and then, I, I, yes, uh, and compounded by Valencia as well, getting beat in the Copa del Rey final. And I think it was an. I remember him at the time being appointed. I was underwhelmed. I think the majority of Barcelona supporters were underwhelmed. Um, I wasn't convinced it was it was going to be a success. I have to admit, admit I was wrong to a degree. Um, but I, I've mentioned on the podcast as well that I think the and it's not just Valverde's fault. In recent seasons, they have drifted away from the Barcelona, the true Barcelona style. And admittedly, he's got two league title wins, so we can't be critical of that. Um, at the end of the season, you can look back on the season as a whole and did he benefit from Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid being below par? Yes, clearly that's a big help to Barcelona. But when it came to the big deciding games at the end of the season, unfortunately, Barcelona came up short. Then Valverde will be criticised. Um it's hard to say he made too many mistakes during the season. Of course he didn't when they won the league as comfortably as they did. But the high-profile games, they were defeated. Um, and that's why he he will come under pressure until he wins the Champions League, I guess. Uh, right, two questions. Jack and Lars both similar, actually. Uh, Jack says, difficult question. Do you think the Spain, the Spanish teams can win a European trophy next season, Lars? But how do you rate the Spanish teams for next season? Uh, tough to answer with so few transfers made. I mean, that, that's a crucial point, isn't it? The, uh, the, the, the big teams have got a lot of work to do, haven't they, in Spain? They've got, the big teams have got a lot of work to do around Europe. Um, it, there's a number of clubs, and I've mentioned it before, that there's going to be a lot of transfer business this summer. Um, the easy bit is picking who you would love to buy. Um, might be a bit tougher to find the money. The hardest bit is moving on the players that you don't want to keep. So it's going to be a really 
intriguing transfer window because moving those players on isn't going to be easy and that restriction who you can bring in. So it's it's far too early to say that. Do Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Valencia have a chance of winning the Champions League next season? Three have a really big chance, I think. Valencia will be outsiders. They'll be looking to do better than they did this season. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's too early to say. But you always have to believe that the usual teams are there or thereabouts, which is why it was a surprise this season that, that my team got in it. I know Liverpool haven't won the league for a long while and they were in the Champions League last season. But they have an historic affair with the, the European Cup and the Champions League. So it's not a massive surprise when Liverpool gets to finals. Um, but I think the likes of Bayern, Juventus, Letico Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester City will be hoping to do better. It's been a fantastic Champions League campaign, just let down by a, a disappointing a disappointing affair in the in the final. And that's not just from me being hacked off, I'll be polite, because um, Spurs didn't win the uh, massive opportunity. They, they failed to take it. Uh, Lucas says, what do you make of Ramos's bizarre press conference? I'm happy he's staying, but it feels like there's a lot of drama going on behind the scenes. It was a, it's a, another weird nod. <laughs> we, we, we ended up where we began with him not going anywhere. And you think, well, what, <laughs> What's what, the point? Eh? Well, yeah, bizarre I, situation. Is it? Te- I, I kind of saw that as a huge political press conference because I don't know where it, it, it's leaked that he wanted to leave. It leads that he'd had a disagreement with Florentino Perez earlier in the season when they got beat by Ajax and he was busy filming his documentary in the, the second leg where he on purposely got booked and suspended because he thought Real Madrid was going through. That would irritate Florentino Perez. Criticism irritated Sergio Ramos. They Their relationship obviously isn't as good as it once was. Um so that it was leaked then that he was possibly... I actually, for, for a few days, he had me. I thought he was going to be leaving Real Madrid. Uh, for a couple right. of days, I thought, I'm not going to be, you know, ju- I'm not going to be swayed by the the occasions in the past, particularly when he was linked with Man United and he got a new contract from Real Madrid. I don't know how close or how genuine the, the interest was from Real Madrid, uh, from Manchester United. Um, but I thought this was going to be different. And then I was really surprised. So I'm still... Not entirely sure that that is the end of the matter, if I'm being perfectly honest, because it was a Sergio Ramos press conference rather than a Real Madrid press conference. Um, I, I wondered if it was him putting a little bit of pressure back on to the club to force their hand into doing something because allegedly he wanted a free transfer away. Um, and have his contract paid up. And of course, Real Madrid, Florentino Perez said, no, we still want his buyout clause. Um, so I don't think we've we've heard the last of that, but it is really strange. It's just the different times we're in now where players can call press conferences um, based on speculation. Uh, right, let's let's rattle through some more questions. Taj, Celta Vigo, sorry, yeah, Celta Valencia, Maxi Gomez, Santi Mina swap. What do you make of it? I can't see that happening. I think Santimina. I I couldn't see him going back to Celta Vigo. I think he's done well enough at Valencia to. With all due respect, get a better move than going back to Celta Vigo. I think the valuations of the players is the problem. If the story is true, um, I think Santi Mina has been valued at 25 million, and Valencia were willing to offer him and pay another 25 million on top for Maxi Gomez, which puts him at 50 million. Santi Mina worth 25. I think that possibly those valuations 
are both a little bit awry, if I'm being perfectly honest. I'm not sure Centimini is worth the 25, and I'm not sure Maxi Gomez is worth the 50, although two really good players, so I don't see that one happening, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. OK, Brownie, shameless rumour time. Would Diego Llorente <laughs> suit the Premier League? I, li- I like the fact that he's just honest about it. Just, you know, everyone should be more honest about just getting stuff off the internet. So, uh, uh, yeah, so Diego Llorente, would you be interested as a Premier League scout? Yes, you would at the right, at, at, again, at the right price. I think he's a player of promise. Um, and everyone is looking for a good, solid, steady central defender that doesn't have many mistakes in him. That's what we've seen so far. Um, it's been a while since we saw him play midfield as well. Do you remember at Raya Vallecano, he stepped into midfield and played in midfield as well and looked a good player. I think he's a really good player. Um, it's, it depends on the price tag, which I think would be high um, and possibly won't put off pursuers from the Premier League. Um, but possibly, if I'm being honest, just a touch too early for a Premier League club to go all in and pay the, I'm guessing, 20 to 30 million euros to, to buy him. Yeah. Uh, Hayden says, uh, two-part question, what do you think is the extent of match-fixing in Spanish football more widely? Why has football become beholden to gambling? The second one is a quick one because of people being greedy is the uh, simple answer to that one. And what's happened is that that gambling money because uh, I, I, we're old enough to have worked in the media before it was all run, you know, every programme, it seems, was run by gambling companies. Um, and I tell you, what, there's no more money knocking around in it now. That's, that's gone right the way through our business, right into, into football clubs, back out the football clubs, into agents, players, which I don't mind so much, but agents and club owners who've taken money out. Um, so, and, and then everyone would say we're dependent on uh, betting money now, but uh, ticket prices haven't gone down, have they? So, you know, that, that money hasn't been seen by any fans or anybody. Uh, the extent of match fixing, obviously, there's a, another uh, investigation going on. Uh, it's hard to say, isn't it? We're, we're not the police. It, it needs investigating. No, I, I, I'd like your opinion because I, I'm looking at the games that run the investigation and it doesn't appear any of the people that are being arrested, other than the Huesca president, have been in the, oh, Borja Fernandez involved in one of the games that's being looked at. It's ex-players. I, I, that's what, what's confusing me at the moment. That it's it's ex-players that have got no part in the game anymore. Um, like Sir Carlos Aranda, I remembered him. I hadn't heard, thought about him for a long time when he was knocking around at Sevilla in the early well, mid two two thousand and four, two thousand and five. He was one of the players that were playing for Sevilla then. Raúl Bravo, he's involved in it. I, I, so I'm I'm. Com- perplexed on to when I saw it and people being arrested I expected to see more of the, the players that were involved in the games I even looked at the game it was the Huesca when they got promotion and the year what the season before when they got promotion they're playing Nastic Tarragona who need to win to stay out there was betting that nil nil at half time one nil at the end to gymnastic Tarragona and I've watched 20 minute highlight of the game Huesca are trying everything they can to score a goal. There's nothing illegitimate about the goal they concede. And then the names come out of the people allegedly involved in this, and they're nothing to do with the teams, apart from the Huesca president, the likes of Carlos Aranda and Raul Bravo. So I'm, I'm confused. It's More often than not, when it happens, it's normally players who are involved in the game or games. But in this case, it's, it's the two of the... Prime suspects are two ex-players that, that, that 
I've, I can't see any connection other than the fact that they both and Real, uh, Borja Fernandez all played for Real Madrid B 15 years ago. Um, so, so I'm perplexed on this one, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. I, I don't know what you think about it, with the fact that these names have popped up from the past that involved in match weeks and in games they're not playing in anymore. It's a strange one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, Terry, if I'm honest. I, I can't really add anything about it. I mean, it's, it's good research that you've gone back and watched, watched the game and... and... But it's it's hard to say, isn't it? Because the you know the, a lot of this comes out because they can track betting patterns. May, you know maybe that was tracked during the game. Yeah, that was tracked during the game. That one. That's why I looked. That was tracked at, during the game and the betting patterns for nil nil at half time and a one nil away win for a team that were fighting against relegation against a team that had already been promoted. And that's where the suspicion grew. the The other game was I did it recently for ITV. Huesca went six nil down at home to Valencia. Then there was the Valladolid one against Valencia when Valencia had to to win. Valladolid were already safe. Valencia had to win to finish in fourth. And there's the two of the most horrendous defensive errors you could wish to see in that that game that give both goals to Valencia. So, but again, those people, (laughs) Carlos Aranda didn't make the mistake. Raul Bravo didn't make the mistake. They'd finished playing a long time ago. So, Borja Fernandez was playing. Um, then he announced his retirement after the game, but he is a—he's about 37, 38, so he's entitled to retire. So it's—it's it's just a, just a strange one. Normally, as I said, you normally get allegations like this, accusations are involved with players who are possibly playing at the club, might not necessarily be playing in the game, or in most cases, players that are in the game that that can influence it. You know, I read a, a story in Marker and asked that, how would you do that? You need the goalkeeper, you need the centre-half, you need a striker. None of these people are alleged to have been involved in, in the match-fixing. So, it's it, it, as I say, I'm perplexed as to how this has all come about, um, how it works, if anyone's guilty or not. I sincerely hope they're not. But I, um, I hope it's all cleared up, but uh, it looks to be pretty serious at the moment. Uh, right, we can answer some of these quickly. Joe, what's happening with the situation regarding the UK rights for La Liga? Have 11 Sports retained it? We don't know. The bidding process is ongoing now. You might what, you might think they should have had it sorted out a bit earlier, but they haven't. No. Uh, Scottish HK, uh, HK Fui. Any chance of the Spanish Federation actually committing to dates and times a month in advance for fans who need to arrange travel? Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, Omar, uh, will Van Dyke win the Ballon d'Or? I don't think so. I, I, in that game last night, I think I saw he got man of the match, but I didn't think he was any different to Matty. I actually thought Fabinho was the man of the match, so I think it's... No, I, I don't see why you know Liverpool win the Champions League. That doesn't necessarily guarantee you the Ballon d'Or because Man City have won all three titles in England. Barcelona have won the league again. They'll be up. Juventus have won their league. So it, it's how we... Maybe you could make an argument for Van Dyke being player of the Champions League, if that was the only criteria to win the Ballon d'Or. But it shouldn't be. So, I, I, my opinion, I, I don't think he, he will be the Ballon d'Or. So, no, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we build a, we build a narrative. It's how we, it's how we report on football, isn't it? And um, because Van Dyke has you know he's had a good season undoubtedly, but because people have everyone's now agreed Van Dyke is brilliant. People watch a game and they spot Van Dyke making 
uh, challenges and winning headers and can miss Matip doing the same and come to the conclusion that Van, Van Dijk's had a wonderful game because you basically, if you watch him and look for good things, you'll see good things because he's a good player. Uh, and, and, and also, I think we, the, the, the change from last season, isn't it? The goalkeeper and the centre-back, where you could argue was Liverpool's weakness, where they've, turned, they've, they've improved the goalkeeper, the centre-back, done better in the league, won the Champions League. So I, I get that reason for it. That's, you know, they've spent big money and it's worked. So I get that. But in last night's performance, I didn't think there was any difference between the two central defenders for Liverpool. And if I'd have gone for a man of match, it probably would have been Fabinho, just because I thought he did his job best out of all the, the midfield players. The, the forwards weren't particularly good, so the defenders weren't particularly tested. Midfield was a, a bit of a battle. And I thought Fabinho was the, the player that instigated that competitive edge for Liverpool to, to make sure they didn't concede a goal and, and end up winning the, the title. So, But it's the criteria, John. The, the Ballon d'Or makes such a difference if you've won the Champions League. Um, should it? That's another debate. Probably not, um, because in this case, Liverpool have only won the Champions League. So it, it's if Liverpool had won the Champions League and the Premier League, then, yeah, you could make a case for a Liverpool player winning it. But... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll see, that's that's for sure. It's a long way away. It's not till December. <laughs> yes, yeah, well done, Omar, for bringing that into the, the reckoning this early. Uh, Barca <laughs> Dummy says, uh, do you think the Champions League will ever go back to being a tournament for actual champions? <laughs> I, I think that's your answer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I'll be grateful if it stays as it is, <laughs> rather than the, the tournament that the big heads want around Europe. That's yeah. more of a yeah. worry. We yeah, can live with this in this format. We can live with the, the domestic leagues in their format. The big heads around the Europe want bigger, though, um, which I, I don't think too many supporters want. No, I don't know. You're literally not one. I mean, if you're listening to this and you've got a different view, get in touch with it. I don't know a single person, and I talk football with hundreds of people, no one has said to me, what we need is a European Super League. Uh, With no maybe, relegation and promotion, an invitation yeah. to join the big group if you yeah, suddenly so get some so state funding. Man United, if you're Man United, you're stuck at the bottom of that league, finishing 16th yeah. every season. So why would you want that? It's just, it's anyway. But I know why. I know why they, people want it, and it keeps getting raised because they want to put more and more pressure for more and more money to go to the big clubs. Right, Peter's point runs on from this. With Man City, Benfica, PSG winning domestic trebles. Uh, in recent seasons. Could an eight or 16 team League Cup be added to the calendar? It might give smaller clubs a rare chance to win a trophy. Uh, please, no. <laughs> Sorry, Peter, but no. no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, league, the League Cup in England is just about just about clinging on to credibility because we have one or two clubs that take it serious. So we end up with normally with a half-decent final. Um, but I don't think the clubs need any more competitions. That's for sure. Well, it's the inequality is the issue, isn't it? It's, it's all the money going to such a small number of clubs that, and it is then compounded because then they get all the media exposure and all the fans and then more money goes to them, et cetera, et cetera, which kills the competition. That's the danger of it. American sports have different ways of levelling out their competitions, don't they, that we just don't have in football. And it's we don't want more of that. We don't want to be more unequal and, and you know just end up where it's just Newcastle, Man City, <laughs> every single final forevermore because they've got billions of pounds of... Of oil money. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, well, one last question on the subject of oil money. Uh, since Terry's in Spain, I think you're in, you're not in Spain at the moment, are you? Uh, can you no. elaborate? Oh, this is coffee. Can you elaborate on Neymar 
to Barcelona, fact no. or fiction? <laughs> I've no idea. Um, I would possibly go with fiction because they're going to have to spend the money they got for him to bring him back. Real Madrid are, are mad keen as well, aren't they? We've seen some great stories. I saw one today where it was Bale, Isco and James Rodriguez for Paul Pogba in a straight swap. Now, the wage bill at Man United goes up a huge chunk. I would, if I was a Man United supporter, I think I'd swallow that one, wouldn't you? Bale, Isco and James Rodriguez. Yeah, Paul but Pogba. Imagine- Imagine the negotiation. That's why these swap deals never work. So you're going to say, no. how, how many people are going to sit around that table having that discussion around the money? <laughs> but there's Mina Rayona, that's for certain, isn't it? Jonathan Barnett representing Gareth Bell. George Mendes represents James Rodriguez. I have no idea who represents Isco. Um, that's just for starters. So it, it that'd be incredible. It, I, I, I said it tongue in cheek. It was a newspaper yeah, yeah. report in Spanish press, and I thought, well, if that is a possibility, if I was Man United and there was any chance you could swap three really top players for one, you'd you'd have to do it. So there'll be some great stories. Seventy-five uh, percent of them won't happen. Um, but I think that 25% that will happen this season will will be really exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of changes and plenty of to talk about throughout the, the rest of the summer. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're both covering internationals, aren't we, for, for Sky in the next couple of weeks. So we'll meet up and we'll have a chat. And hopefully all this, these wheels will start turning. We'll start getting some transfers uh, through. So we'll have a look. Uh, you're doing Spain, aren't you, I think, for, for Sky? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Gajka Tokero is not going to be in one of those transfers, and he's decided oh, of course. to, yeah, to yeah. call a day, call it how, a day. How, and... Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're, we're one day, I tell you what, one day, another day, a, le- a less sad day with, obviously, with Jose Antonio Reyes. We'll we'll sit down and have a proper chat about Tokero, who's, uh, yeah, uh, a, a legend, a man who plays, played, like, if you gave the shirt to a fan and said, right, go on there, play for your, play, play is, you know, it's your one chance, everything depends on it, get out there. That, that's Tokero, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I would have had him on the pitch last night for the last 20 minutes for Spurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Well, it's been, it's been good talking to you. Unfortunately, I'm you know, sorry about the, the sad situation at, at the no, beginning of the show. Yeah, but of there, course. You know, there, uh, there we are. Life uh, life has tragedies, but life, um, you know, uh, it brought us some joy along the way as well. So, uh, thoughts to Jose Antonio Reyes, his cousin, and their family as well. We'll be podcasting again soon. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. takes thousands of hours to become an astronaut. Right, Nina? Oh, I'm not an astronaut. I'm a design consultant at the Container Store. 
But you explore space. I help you find space with our Alpha Closet systems. And you're an expert. Pretty good at it. And you use satellites to communicate. I'm doing more virtual in-home closet designs, but I wouldn't say... We salute you, astronaut Nina, for helping us find space. You're welcome. The Alpha sales bonus is here. Earn up to $500 in credit now through February 7th at the Container Store, where space comes from.